Welcome to DTRR News, where we will be discussing and staying on top of the latest news in AI and automation. With you to discuss this week's news, Jacob Magnall and David Griffith-Jones. DTR News this week, we look at the coming AI app explosion, rubbish robot pickers, and self-programming robots. But first, hire me human. Researchers from the London School of Economics have synthesized findings that compare human hiring methods to algorithmic hiring methods. The results of this review indicate that AI methods outperform humans with respect to making efficient hiring decisions, increasing diversity of recruits, and leading to the best performance in new hires. However, with respect to perceptions, sentiment towards AI hiring is much more negative than sentiment towards human hiring. This represents a barrier to adoption. In cases where AI is performing better than humans, these emotional factors are holding businesses back from embracing these new technologies. So, Jacob, I think this is a great example where it's become far more mainstream that we're having AI and automation in hiring and recruitment processes. In fact, some recent research says that 28% of European companies are already using these technologies in support of hiring activities. And then this research here from London School of Economics shows that it's better. The automation AI is performing better in what you want from a hiring process. It's better hires, it's more diverse, making better decisions. And yet there's resistance and it comes down to emotional factors of humans not being comfortable with AI and automation being central to the hiring process. And for me, the answer here is quite simple. We need to talk about this more. We need to make sure that we bring these discussions up and that we actually discuss it with together so that it's not strange because we, like looking at these numbers, we don't want people to do hiring. No, I mean, if it's better for the computer, for the AI and automation to be doing it, surely we should be. Um, but there's this resistance and we're also seeing some legislation coming in. Um, New York City, for example, is introducing legislation whereby businesses must tell people 10 days before the interview that it's going to be involving an AI tool. And they also have to audit the decision tools before using them. And the idea is that potential employees need protecting from things that could embed bias. Like, for example, if you were measuring speech patterns in a video interview, you might screen out candidates with a speech impediment. Or if you're tracking keyboard keyboard inputs, that could eliminate candidates with arthritis or other conditions. So you can see why legislation is kind of coming under pressure to do something about this, because there's the risk mm. that you could be creating heavily biased uh, algorithms. But I'm not sure if this approach from New York City is actually the right one. No, it's it's difficult, right? Like, so I think this sort of feeds into a, a wider discussion about transparency and how difficult it is to make useful stuff that is also very transparent. And I think it's it's worth like looking into from a legislative standpoint. But I think we need to be a little bit careful so that we don't like just default to human bias being okay 
Have you seen black and white photographs that an artist has colorized to show the world and how it would have looked like a hundred years ago? Now you can turn your family's black and white memories into color images using a Swedish machine learning researcher, Emil Wallner's tool, on his page palette.fm. There you can upload a photo and have it colorized using his pre-built filters, or you can modify the text prompt associated with the filter to make them your own. I tried this and I had like a fabulous result. It was actually really cool to see my grandmother in color when she was young. Um, really nice. I, I had a good time. It was a, a pleasant enough experience and it added something to that photograph that is of value to me. So why am I bringing this up is I think it's a really good example of AI or more accurately machine learning coming to its own people are actually trying like starting to create tools that are super useful we're going to see more and more of of this as people identify more and more problems that can be solved by using machine learning i suspect that this type of creativity enabling tools are going to become more and more more of a thing in the coming years and essentially if you remember the the old uh, apple commercial there's an app for that I think that's where we're going to get to. Where I think we're going into a period now where we will see so many problems being solved by different people. And then, yeah, so excited for that. Exactly, Jacob. I mean, I, I really like this one specifically, like to be able to go and take old photos and just process them into color without having to have someone to do it manually brings to life these old photos and I could almost see a stage where there are no black and white photos left if it's this easy to add colorization to it. Yeah. But your bigger point here, I totally agree with you, Jacob, is that what's happening is that the technology is being democratized and becoming available for many, many more people who couldn't have made the underlying AI machine learning technology, but they can now create applications that sit on top of it. And so we're unlocking the creativity of all these independent people, teams, who can use this underlying technology in different ways. And this Emil Valners is using it for this colorization. But there's going to be more and more of these innovations coming through, kind of, as you say, like the applications were for the Apple iPhone apps. Yeah. And it's really fun to see how creativity now is seeping into AI and machine learning. I think everyone was a little bit discouraged when deep fakes and, and I, I guess like, like fake pornography and stuff like that was the main thing that people were trying to do. But that's always the case, like, uh, right? People are always trying to do porn first and then the, the real like more like solving issues that isn't necessarily that comes later. And I think I'm really happy that we're getting to this point. Next, Rubbish Robot Picker. A UK-based waste management company is trialling the use of artificial intelligence to sort plastic waste. Grindon has invested in a robotic arm at its site in Gloucestershire which can pick rubbish at a human rate. The fast picker arm is supplied by Helsinki-based supplier of robotic waste separation technology, Zen Robotics. The Zen Robotics machine learns to remember plastic in a similar way to which humans learn to recognise items. It can pick up to 80 items a minute. The robot visually scans the belt before deciding which items to pick, recognising a particular item based on other items it has been trained on. 
The fast picker is currently picking up plastic bottles in different colours and polymers, including HDPE, like milk bottles, and PET, like drinks bottles. It can also be trained to sort objects both positively and negatively to remove unwanted contaminated objects, such as herbicide cans, silicon cartridges, and oil cans from food-grade plastic. The company hopes the technology will increase the volume of recyclable material. A spokesperson said, We can really see robotic sorters making a difference in environments which are less well-suited for humans, such as the sorting of contaminated waste or working in areas with high levels of noise and dust. Jake, when I saw this, I just think this is such a great use of robotics because I, I don't know if people have seen those um, the kind of non-roboticized waste sorting. You have humans like going through our waste, picking out things, and we can replace those people with a robot who will do it better and then can also be handling some of these dangerous materials without putting humans at risk. It just seems like such a great use case for robotics. And it seems like Zen, Zen Robotics, the Helsinki-based company, they're really looking at how the robots can fit in to the existing workflows at these waste plants so that the robots kind of can work alongside other processes. So it's an, a, actually a good case of, of service design of where the robot is being designed to fit in with the existing flows. And it's interesting that it, it, at the moment it's replicating what that human picker does. But when we see things improve and it's only going to get quicker or recognize more items, then maybe the robot will start changing the processes at the waste management plant. So super interesting. And last, self-programming robots. When you want to make a robot act, you must program them. First, to detect objects, move actuators, and lastly, get feedback to see how successful the robot has been at achieving the operator's desired goals. This makes setting up a robot a rather time-consuming task requiring a deep knowledge about the robot, its surroundings, and how to write the correct snippets of code. In light of this, a group of researchers has looked at the latest generation of language models, such as Paul, to see if a robot can write its own code. As we have discussed on this show earlier, language models are pretty apt at writing general code. Now, the Google team has shown that the models can be used to successfully generate code for such specific applications as programming of an industrial robot. A self-programming robot can solve tasks based on instructions from an operator, adapt to changing circumstances, and optimize and expand its capabilities over time. There are, of course, risks involved in not knowing exactly how a robot will move within its physical boundaries, and we will have to make sure that there are robust safety checks in place. I have two things that I take away from this. The first thing is, how awesome is it to have robots being programmed by people that don't necessarily have the, the programming knowledge? Like, if you're a domain expert and you want something done by a robot and you can just tell them to do it, and the robot on the fly sort of programs itself and it optimizes its paths and stuff like that. I think that the the amount of just economic value that is available from this is staggering. It's uh, an absolutely crazy development. The second part is that this also brings us much closer to general purpose robots, like having a Tesla robot 
uh, is fun and all, but if it can't interpret the the surrounding environment and perform tasks by itself without someone sitting down and programming it first, then it's not going to be very useful. T- totally, Jacob. I mean, right now you need to have often very highly paid, limited numbers of specialist programmers to come in and write the code in order to have these industrial robots. And that is a huge bottleneck to us having more things out in the world. So this paints a vision of whereby more people, non-specialists, are going to be able to, through just natural commands, be able to create programs within the robots. Yeah. If you look at cobots as well, can you imagine if you have a robot that is working next to you on some task and you just want to modify the behavior to facilitate you? Like, oh, I can't really do it like that. Can you move it around? And it just reprograms itself and just does it. It gives the flexibility, doesn't it? Rather than having a yeah. kind of strict uh, flow whereby if you want to make a change, you have to send it off to some engineer somewhere to change the code right. and deploy it. You can actually say, uh, excuse me, Cobot, would you mind if actually when you put that red box down there, you could move it slightly to the left and do the green one first, and then it would yeah. actually learn and self-program itself to adapt. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Right. And you can add exceptions really easily as well. Like, yeah, but if there is a green box there, I actually need the red box to be under it. So you need to move things around so that it works out with whatever flow we're doing. Um, Yeah, really cool. I'm really ready for that. It's interesting how important these language models have been, isn't it? That they they seem to be the foundation for so much now. Yeah, they're really unlocking a whole new world. Fascinating developments within AI and robotics. If you want to support this podcast, please tell a friend about it. Next week, um, we have a really exciting episode coming up. I'm really looking forward to uh, publishing it. It's with Paula Doyle, who's the Chief Digital Officer at Orca BP. And I found that conversation just really inspiring. Yeah. I've had so much help from that uh, interview and and remembering what she said. Um, She has really transformed some of my views on digitalization and given me some some tools to talk about it better. Um, Really recommend everyone listen to that. Yeah, because she actually gives real examples of how they've managed to achieve huge optimizations in terms of uh, how things are created and that thing that we've struggled with sometimes about how you prove the business case of these infrastructure projects that are necessary for many other individual use cases and how you go about doing that. So I'm the same. Since having that had that conversation, I've been actually finding it really useful in referencing it quite a lot. So I really urge everyone to listen to the show next week. It's a really good one. Actually, Jacob, this this self-programming robots uh, news story. Yeah. I'd actually come across that uh, earlier on uh, in a bigger article that was released by Google's R&D team to kind of shine a light. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I did. I I actually stole parts of of this from from that. Uh, Oh, cool. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, they kind of broke it down, I'd say kind of broadly two categories 
of AI projects that they're working on. Like one right. is kind of social environmental ones. And three that really stood right. out to me in this context were wildfire tracking. So the machine learning model can give early detection to potential wild, wildfires starting in, at the moment, US, Canada, Mexico, parts of Australia. Mm. And we're seeing so much about wildfires at the moment, aren't we? So if we can use machine learning to give that early signal and pull in resources to stop them, this, I mean, human natural costs, financial costs, just fantastic potential. Um, the second one was around flood forecasting. So they're developing a system that sent 115 million flood alerts to 23 million people mm. in India and Bangladesh in the last year. And they're expanding this to other countries struggling with floods. And then the, the final one in this kind of social environmental bucket is something around maternal health and ultrasound. So using an Android app and then a portable ultrasound monitor, nurses and midwives in the US and Zambia where they're doing the test are testing out a system that can assess a fetus's gestational age and position in the womb. So instead of having to go into a hospital with the very expensive equipment, you can have people mm. roaming around with just an Android app and a portable uh, ultrasound monitor. Mm. And so it makes this technology and therefore maternal health like far more accessible. That's so important, though. That That's a game changer. So these these three are great examples of where AI and machine learning, and th these are cases from, from Google, um, mm. where it's got the potential to have really huge societal and environmental improvements, um, which is brilliant. And then another couple on the more kind of like fun playful or kind of creative content side that again google r&d are working on at the moment there's there's one which is they call it imaging video mm. which is similar to what we spoke about before with um meta have produced this you can create a video content moving pictures based right. on just words so in this imaging video you can for example say a giraffe underneath a microwave and it'll actually be a moving giraffe underneath a microwave so we're seeing this not you not just text to image but text to video being the next frontier right yeah and then one that's even more curious is called wordcraft mm -hmm. where Writers are experimenting with Google's own AI fiction crafting tool to create stories. And it makes me wonder, at the moment, it is kind of a, a human author working alongside the tool, and that could well be what it continues to be. It could yeah. evolve into being a purely AI-automated fiction writer. But regardless, whether it's just a tool to assist or whether it is uh, actually doing it in its own way, that there could be this future where we are consuming Netflix series and films and reading books that are coming out of AI. It's kind of amazing. And no one else will read. That's, that, you know, if, if we have that sort of capability, you could have just 
a totally separate universe of literature that is just written for wow. you by a machine app. Yeah, that's true. It's, <laughs> it's, kind, of, it's kind of a sad... Yeah, because it takes away the limit, that, That's the it? end of culture. But that is true, Jacob, <laughs> because you're right. If you, you're not limited, but, but big limiting factor is it takes a human, like, well, yeah. months, years to write these films and books. With an AI doing it, it could be cr- creating thousands an hour that are yeah, crafted yeah. for like Jacob's taste, David's tastes. I only want to know what happened to Luke Skywalker after the last movie in the Shadow Realm. <laughs> like that's the only thing I want to read. That's amazing. <laughs> and I just though, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's a next level explosion of content that we're going to be seeing. Yeah. Like there's that lovely I won't get the stats right, but you know, since the internet was invented, like before mm. that, like the whole human history produced a certain amount of content and now Right. It's produced yeah, yeah, yeah. in a, a day or something. But with this, it just goes even more hyper. Like it's just going to mm. be video content. It's insane. Books and personalized fiction, adventure stories. Mind boggling, really. But I reckon we're, we're uh, I think, just bringing it back a couple of notches. What I think is going to happen, what I, I th- hope will happen, is that we're going to have really talented artists getting a lot of help producing material uh, quicker and easier, but not necessarily... I, I hope it doesn't change social dynamics so much that we don't have a, a common culture. <laughs> I think I think that's one thing to sort of look mm. out for because we need this ref- these references mm. together to, to sort of keep together as... As people, and um, so, but I think this discussion sort of highlights the need for talking about that again. Like we need to have discussions about how we how we use these tools in a constructive way. But I reckon we'll, yeah, yeah, it could power a splintering of um, cultures. We no longer will have that shared experience of yeah. watching Game of Thrones together because we'll all be watching our own shows which definitely need to watch out on the other thing i'm slightly uncomfortable about or very uncomfortable really is just how much power this puts the likes of google alphabet in if if they're able to produce content that is more compelling or as compelling as the current day songwriters authors filmmakers yeah like are they just gonna take it all does that mean that they could have a monopoly on creativity? And how? What do we do about that? I don't. On the other hand, you see things as, and I, I, I know people get very tired as soon as you mention blockchain. But I saw someone with a vision for uh, a, a new sort of social media platform where you, as a, as a person, actually own your profile, and you can just move that to a new platform using that sort of technology and if you extrapolate those two trends you you kind of get some accountability so i think that's maybe one of the things that we need to look into and innovate around is how to make sure that it's understandable where something comes from Mm. um no but i'm sure like Honestly, David, like if you're a multi-billion dollar company and you can quickly, easily, cheaply put out something that someone will watch, 
Of course you're going to do it. <laughs> you'd be able to alter it in real time as well, wouldn't you? So you'd be able to analyse yeah. how viewers are engaging with it. And if there's a drop-off point between scene seven and scene eight, well, you can rewrite that scene on the fly and... Yep. Oh, that's nice. If you have a soap, soap, soap opera and the, the main character is killed in a car crash and people react negatively to it, you can just revive them with some plot twist and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, it opens the door, doesn't it, that of just, again, how AI and automation is transforming so many industries and entertainment yeah. industry here being one of them. I think one uh, just... Um, Looking at the 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 Google research uh, article or or report that they put out, I think there's a sort of an umbrella over these categories right. as well. You have the social and environmental things, and then you have the creative content stuff. But you also have the capability building mm -hmm. stuff, which is like the you generate code, mm -hmm. for example, by using natural language uh, inputs and the, the self programming robots and and stuff like that, which can help in all of these yeah. um and and the, and then things. as we were saying that yeah. then enables that is the foundation layer for other others whether they're other people or businesses to go and create applications that sit on this underlying technology and that is the next yeah next level so we're going to get these things and then we're going to get the app creators creating an app for everything um there's still space for human creativity. Like colorizing photographs is just the beginning, I think. It is, and the human creativity we're gonna see some really changes, cool doesn't it? What the human's part yeah. of the creativity changes. But in some days, when I look at all this, I'm like, it, the AI is just encroaching and encroaching and encroaching. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so you're not where wrong. are we going to be? You're where are we going to be? We as humans going to have left? I mean, we, they need... I mean, we're the consumers ultimately still. Yeah. And in all that honesty, if you look at the colorizing tool as a really good example, what that does, it, it gives us access to a capability that only a very limited pool of people had. Like artists that could colorize a, a black and white picture that is not it's not a trivial thing to do that takes a lot of skill and patience and time and money to just colorize one photograph by hand but all of a sudden i can look at a black and white color of a pumpkin and it's orange and it's just fabulous yeah. great jacob Did you enjoy this week's episode? If you did, don't forget that the best way to help this podcast is to show someone that you think would like the episode so that they listen to it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a really good week.